Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, the easy way to sell billboards online, out-of-home, in your hands. Today's guest is Paul Wright, the top billboard valuation expert in the United States. Paul's firm, SignValue.com, appraises billboards, billboard leases, and billboard easements for out-of-home companies, landlords, and government agencies. Paul is an accredited senior appraiser with the American Society of Appraisers, a member of the OAAA, and co-author of Billboard Appraisal, The Valuation of Off-Premise Advertising Signs. I will just tell you, that is the Bible of billboard valuation. If you get in a condemnation dispute or need an expert opinion or are just valuing your company for sale or estate tax purposes, Paul's the one to call. Welcome to the show, Paul. Well, thanks, Dave. That's nice of you to say. Paul, how did you get involved in the out-of-home advertising business? You know, that goes back 25 years ago. I had a really strong interest in art and advertising, and I was working my way through college and working for Bank of America and working for C.B. Richard Ellis and the local Maricopa County Assessor's Office. And when I graduated, it was just kind of the perfect combination of things to get into. Advertising and art and finance, it all kind of came together perfectly. So that's kind of where I ended up. And since then, we've grown our company today. Well, I guess we started in 2001 and today we do projects all over the country, brokerage valuation and taxation and condemnation. And we get to work on some pretty exciting things, kind of high profile projects, but we don't get to talk about them publicly. You might hear about them in the newspaper. Obviously, you get to read about them in Billboard Insider. But those are projects that we have to maintain pretty strict confidentiality about. Yeah, I guess what you're telling me, if you do work product, if there's a litigation dispute and your your work factors in the settlement, your work product is confidential and protected. It's it's the property of the company that has hired you. Is that correct? Exactly. So we hear about and work on a lot of things that have to kind of remain confidential until they're public. Mm-hmm. Well, you made some predictions for the industry in a column you wrote in Billboard Insider in December 2018. You had three predictions for out-of-home during 2019. The first was that out-of-home would become more integrated with technology. The second is there would be more M&A activity. And the third is that we would see a continued loosening of digital sign regulations. Can you do a bring-down analysis on each of those predictions? How have things changed since you made those predictions? Sure. The first item that you mentioned was out of home and being more integrated with technology. We're continuing to see that. Groups, uh, I call it smart buying, but there's a variety of different terms, programmatic and things like that. I love smart buying. It's actually a simple, easy to understand English term. I don't know why when we start talking programmatic buying, we get into all this jargon that no one can understand. But smart buying (laughs) is a great way of saying it. (laughs) <laughs> or automatic, automated buying. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's just like a smartphone. It's smart buying. And right. Adomni is obviously a leader in that. Inmobi is another one. Blip is another one. Selling remnant space. So 
this geofencing and aggregating of big data is continuing to drive the industry, and we're seeing a lot of that kind of thing. We just worked on a project up in Edmonton, Canada, where we were estimating some revenue for a particular location. And the group we were working with, Entro, has some software that does kind of a visual complexity and ordering and a physiological response measuring of people who are in a particular space or atmosphere. And it was really interesting to talk to them about how they're quantifying and measuring visibility and complex environments. So there's all kinds of new things happening, and we're really excited about the technology. Wow. Talk about the M&A market. You thought there would continue to be a healthy and a growing M&A market for billboard companies. Right. And we've continued to see that. There's just a lot of optimism about the industry. We're seeing a lot of interest from new groups that are in uh, kind of ancillary media, newspaper, radio, television, that are thinking, you know, outdoor, out of home is the place we want to be. And so they're moving dollars there, making more investments. And so we've been really encouraged by that. And we think that will continue. What do you think, Paul, the private equity involvement? I admit it's kind of mixed for me. When a stable new entrant comes in with long-term capital, I'm thrilled. If it's a private equity firm that just wants to gear up a company, I am a little concerned because that is what happened to Clear Channel Outdoor. You had a private equity firm come in, over-leverage it, and it never quite recovered. So I view the private equity firm sort of as a mixed blessing. I would agree. I think that there's a need for some education and some understanding when you make those kinds of investments. And a lot of times the private equity groups are only looking at numbers and don't really understand the dynamics of the industry. So it's important to kind of have that balance and, and have that advice. Mm -hmm. How about digital sign regulations? Are we seeing a continued loosening of digital sign regulations? Yeah, no question. In fact, we're seeing a lot of activity from developers and municipalities and other property owners that have, you know, things that were built in the last 50 or 100 years and trying to incorporate new digital applications into their properties. And obviously, well, you know, you're not going to go out and put digital displays on Notre Dame or uh, some other historic yes. building. But there are applications where you're trying to drive traffic, you're trying to make it more of an entertainment type destination. So we're seeing mixed use developers and municipalities try to incorporate digital in not just an advertising way, but in an aesthetic architectural kind of way to enhance their properties. And we're working on a large project right now in California that, again, we need to maintain confidentiality. A year from now, you'll hear about the project and it'll be really exciting to talk about. But there's a lot of a lot of optimism about digital. There is a knee jerk response to digital that says we don't want digital because we don't want our city to look like Las Vegas. Well, the flip side of that is, do you want smart car charging stations? If you do and you don't want to have to pay for them, maybe 
you should put allow a digital screen on the smart car charging station where someone can charge advertising and use the ad revenue to support the service. Do you want kiosks available at your transit stops? Maybe if you do, you need to allow a digital screen so that the advertising can help support the information that you're driving through the digital kiosk. It seems like it's a way of of creating revenue that can help support smart city initiatives. Absolutely. And municipalities especially are understanding that uh, if they want these kinds of added value services in their communities, somebody's got to pay for it. And advertising dollars are an easy way to cover those costs and, and to generate just additional tax revenue. And I think that there was an initial reservation about digital and the safety concerns and things like that. But now that there have been enough deployed, they understand that these aren't something that are dangerous, something that are garish. They're actually something that can be incorporated into a community and and enhance the community. Let's stop here for a word from our sponsor. Domni increases your billboard revenue by selling unsold ad space at top dollar. Whether you have Watchfire, Fermetco, or Dactronics billboards, Adomni easily integrates. Get started selling in as little as one business day on the fastest growing network of over 60,000 digital screens. Visit adomni.com or call 844-ADOMNI to speak with an Adomni billboard specialist. Mention this Billboard Insider podcast to receive one free year of Adomni's white-labeled booking engine on your website. Paul, let's talk about out-of-home values. Where's the market right now? Well, the market is increasing in terms of values. We're seeing values rise, and it's primarily based on three things. There's really strong revenue growth. That's a little bit unusual that in the fourth quarter we had strong growth, and we're really watching this first quarter to see if that continues Traditionally, the first quarter is pretty soft. It's winter and people aren't out and about on vacations and things like that. So we're watching the first quarter really closely to see if the strong revenue growth continues. But I suspect that it is continuing. And it's likely because of the number two item, which is a shift in ad spend. We've always kind of suspected that advertisers were moving dollars from other media. But I think this is the first really clear sign that those dollars are coming from radio and television and newspaper pretty clearly coming from those other media types. And so we're really excited about what's going on and and we think it will continue. And this general enthusiasm will continue at least for this year and maybe into next year. There are a couple of things that are kind of lurking out there and they're negatives that could impact values or slow down value growth. And one of those things is taxation issues that may start to creep up. There was a recent case in Pennsylvania that concluded that the value of billboard lease income to the landowner can be considered in assessing the value of that property owner's land. Let's just hope, Paul, that that gets overturned on appeal at the next level, because to the extent that suddenly a landlord's property tax is going up because of a billboard lease, it's going to make that billboard lease more expensive to the billboard company. It's going to make property owners more reluctant to engage in billboard leases. 
That's possible. And so landowners are watching that. Sign owners are watching that. We're watching that, obviously. I think that there's a tendency to overreact to that. And so we're not concerned too much. We think that it'll be a slow evolution and prices might rise marginally in terms of lease costs because of taxes. But we're watching that. And then the other thing is a recession looming. I think everyone knows that that's likely to happen in the next couple of years. There was a study just that came out of uh, CEOs and they all generally agreed that the fourth quarter of 2020 was probably the time when they would start to see a softening in the economy. So, you know, that's another year and a half out. And we don't think that's going to be a really strong recession like we had last time. I think it'll be pretty mild. Let's talk a little bit about multiples and what they might do at a recession. It seems like, am I right, that multiples are at, oh, 10 to 12 times cash flow or EBITDA? And what do multiples do in a recession? Yeah, you are right. I think that our average is 10 and a half or 11. And in terms of revenue multiples, I think we're probably in the five to five and a half times range on average. There's a lot of things that affect that. But generally speaking, multiples will fluctuate during a recession. During the last recession, we actually saw a spike in multiples. We were looking at lower revenues, lower cash flows, and buyers were anticipating that to be a temporary thing. And so multiples looked high relative to revenue and cash flow. In other words, I may pay 15 times cash flow trailing 12 months because I know that based on recovering out of the recession, I'm really only going to be at a nine or 10 times once the revenue is recovered and I'm coming out of recession. Exactly. And so it's a, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Our clients come to us and say, well, you know, won't multiples go down? Actually, they go up, but that's it's because it, there's a relationship there between cash flows and revenues. Mm-hmm. Paul, talk about the top drivers of an out-of-home company's value. In other words, you, you say that values do vary quite a bit and various, based on various factors. What are the drivers that may influence value? One of the original staples of analysis or uh, valuation has always been looking at lease costs. And that's still one of the primary drivers that we look at when we start to talk about what the value of a plant might be. We want to know how much of that revenue is going to landowners in the form of lease payments. So that's a big issue. We're also looking at market size and whether you're in a major market or a top ranked market, there's 200 markets, generally speaking, that are ranked every year. If you're not in one of those top 200 media markets, then you're probably in what we consider a smaller or mid-sized market. So we're looking at market size. Are those markets worth a turn or two less of uh, cash flow? They can be. Yeah. They can be, but the caveat is that if you have a a smaller market that's growing rapidly, then that can offset any size issue 
because there's a lot of growth and activity and development and changes going on that might create higher traffic volumes, opportunities for development because properties are being rezoned, new advertisers coming into the market. So growth can kind of offset that size issue. Paul, what about wood versus steel? Is a wood plant worth less than a steel monopole plant? It is, but oftentimes it's overestimated or a bigger discount is applied for wood. Hmm. It is not the driving factor that a lot of people feel it is. Now, if you're comparing apples to apples, you've got a wood plant in the same market on the same streets with the same roads. You might see uh, half a point on maybe half to a quarter point on a revenue multiple. You might see a half a point to three quarters of a point on a cash flow multiple. What we really start to do is look at the capital expense that might be involved. The capex on a plant that's wood and may may require some rebuilding or refurbishing might be a little higher. And so we've got to factor that in, but it generally isn't, isn't a driving factor in valuation. Paul, signvalue.com brokers out-of-home company sales. What pointers would you have for someone who's looking to sell their out-of-home plant? Right. We do brokerage as well as valuation, and our in-house broker is Carson Frost. Carson and I are constantly coming up with creative solutions to kind of navigate through deals and figure out how to solve problems. And maintaining composure and finding solutions is is generally the key to, to getting deals done. Carson put together a great tip sheet on our website called Maximize the Value of Your Assets. And that's right on our website where you can download it for free. But some of those tips include getting multiple offers for your plant. And generally speaking, that means going out and getting a qualified broker to do the marketing and negotiations for you. Having multiple offers means that you can leverage those offers and eventually get the highest possible price. So I would definitely encourage plant owners to do that. Another one would be to kind of hyper organize your files, meaning dig in and make sure your financials are up to date. Go through your files and make sure all of your leases and your permits and your advertising contracts are organized. You want to make sure that it's going to be very easy during the due diligence process to provide the information that you need to to the potential buyers. Which to me in this environment of online, that means setting up a Dropbox folder or another online folder where information is very easily accessible. Exactly. Those secure sites are are important. Then another one would be to go out and renegotiate any high rate leases. It's kind of like when you're buying a used car and or selling a used car and you're walking around and pointing out the dents and the dings and well, what about this and the tires they need to be replaced. High lease rates are usually one of the key factors that we start to talk about when we're in the middle of a negotiation. And so they'll point out this this site has a high lease rate and what are we going to do about that? And do you think we can get that renegotiated? So that's one other item. And then finally, I would say, well, two, a couple other things. One, we still have clients that are renting displays on a monthly basis instead of a four-week period. 
and just converting that monthly ad contract to a four-week period contract adds one period per year and can generate an additional 8% in revenue. So that's a selling point that you can either offer to a buyer or you can go out and start to convert those contracts before you take your signs to market. Mm-hmm. And then finally, consolidating your footprint or expanding your footprint. And staying in your footprint isn't always the right idea, but if you want it to grow organically and you want to maintain efficiencies, then look at your footprint and are there stragglers? Are there signs that are outlying that you should sell or are there signs available to buy that would fit into your footprint nicely? So those are considerations that also kind of impact buying and selling decisions. Perfect. Now, talk about how to value a billboard easement or a billboard lease. Billboard easements are the perpetual right, generally perpetual right, to go on a property and operate your sign. And so easements have three components. They have a utility easement, they have an access easement, and they have a visibility easement or area. And those things can be purchased in perpetuity. If there's a lease in place already, then we look at the income that's coming in off of that lease and capitalize that income into a value. The lease income is typically discounted a little bit for minimal expenses, management, accounting, legal and maybe this new issue of taxes, but it's a pretty nominal reduction in income, maybe 8%, 10%. But then we capitalize that remaining net income into an indication of value so that we can come up with the value of the lease or the value of a perpetual easement. And am I right that in many cases, billboard easement or a lease can be worth more than an actual billboard in terms of a cash flow multiple? They can be. Multiples of net income on lease or for an easement are typically higher because there's less risk in a billboard lease or an easement. Most of the risk is borne by the sign owner. They have to go out and get advertisers and they have to make sure that the occupancy rates stay high and they have competition and have to keep up with rates. And so they're taking on a lot more of the risk. A landowner just collects a check, and so there's relatively low risk, and the lower the risk, the better the value in terms of capitalization rates and multiples. Mm -hmm. Landmark has been actively buying billboard leases and easements. I think they're up to 613 billboard leases or easements owned as of December 2018. Many out of companies view them negatively. What's your take? Right. I think that they represent a threat to the industry, but not as big a threat as I originally thought. When they first came out and started to make acquisitions, I thought, wait a minute, here's a group that is trying to control the underlying right to operate the sign on the property. And as they evolved and as they started to accumulate leases, it became more and more apparent that their primary goal was to play margins, which basically means to buy low and sell high and operate in that gap or in that margin. 
And they're really looking for long-term leases that have solid revenue stream. And I would say bigger leases, Paul. It seems like they don't want to see a lease, buy a lease if it's got less than $300 a month in rent, for instance. Exactly. And even leases that have less than a year or five years, they want long-term leases. And so the idea that they might come in and buy short-term leases and then call the billboard company and say, hey, we're going to raise your lease rates and now it's going to be you know, this huge amount of money that you can't afford, that really hasn't materialized. And so I think some of the initial early fears about Landmark have not been borne out. That said, when you start to accumulate 600 leases, there becomes this critical mass where you have more leverage and control. And so if those leases become staggered or set to expire in large groupings, then they can go to one particular sign owner and say, hey, we've got 75 leases expiring. And if you don't raise your rates to X number of dollars, then you know, you're going to lose these locations. And so their leverage or their, their bargaining power is growing. And so that's more of a concern to me than their initial modus operandi. I would say that their long-term outlook and the way they're packaging those leases and pooling them for investors is a comfort to us. And it, it leads me to believe that they're not going to try to harness that into some kind of bargaining power. Mm-hmm. Paul, let's end with just a very short synopsis. I'll see an out-of-home company and you give me two or three sentence opinion of it. Lamar. I think Lamar is a well-managed company that is conservative in the way they approach acquisitions and leasing and CapEx, and they've done an excellent job growing during this last few years. Outfront. I'm a little bit surprised that Outfront hasn't been able to cut their operating expenses as much as I thought they would when they spun off into a REIT. I think that there's more fat to cut there, but I also think that they're a little bit heavier. I think it's a little more difficult than I originally realized. Uh, I think the large markets that they're in Uh, with more sophisticated landowners and more transit agreements and that kind of thing is going to make it a little harder for them to get as lean and have as efficient a company as Lamar. Clear Channel Outdoor. Clear Channel is in a real transition right now. It's going to be interesting to see how they emerge and the shape they take. I had hoped for a little bit more dramatic announcements and changes I think that we're probably going to see that in the next year or two, but it's going to be really interesting to see if they can make that transition. To me, their leverage is about seven to one. I think that's not sustainable. They need to be at about four or five. And I wonder if the way that's going to happen is they're going to spin off Internet, Clear Channel Outdoor International will separate from Clear Channel Outdoor Americas. And hopefully in that separation, the leverage will be down to a sustainable level. 
I think you're right. I think they tried to spin off as many markets as they could to try to create some cash and and pay that down. But obviously, that's not going to work at domestic markets that they sold. I don't think that's going to be enough. And I think you're right. I think it's probably a split between international and domestic at some point. Link Media Outdoor, the subsidiary of Boston Omaha. Yeah, we're watching Link really closely. In fact, we just mapped all of their recent acquisitions and we're looking at the pattern that they're building nationwide. And it's really interesting. There's a swath through a few states where they haven't made acquisitions yet, but they're closing in, I suspect. And I like what they're doing. Perfect. Paul, thank you so much. That's all for this week. And thanks for appearing on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having me. This podcast was sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, the easy way to sell billboards online out of home in your hands. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting billboardinsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is billboardinsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back in a couple weeks.